This morning's reading is taken from Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his home in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm sure some of you are thinking about the same thing as me. Um, that 158 years and 10 days ago, almost to the day, um, there were some meetings in Windermere and then in Kendall, um, gospel meetings. And uh, the gospel was preached both in Windermere and then on into Kendall. And uh, I've, I've read an account of this. There's some wonderful words recalling a sparked by this preaching tour, and um, there were meetings which took place in the assembly room or rooms in Windermere, I don't know quite where that was, and then here in the town hall, um, apparently they had to open it as far as they could uh, for people to gather, and then they carried on in a schoolroom up on Fellside, and a few hundred people attended these meetings, and uh, in Kendall, they went wild. They started singing on the streets, apparently, when the meetings were over, all the way to the railway station. Some of the Windermere lot went back on the train singing as well, and, um, and dozens became Christians. Again, there's a lovely account of a tea, sounds very civilized, after the meetings, where people could testify to meeting the Lord. And it says they testified um, that God, for Christ's sake, had pardoned their sins and they could rest upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. And um, I particularly like this uh, description. During these meetings, The Lord's presence and blessing were realized in a truly blessed manner. And some of the very vilest sinners in the neighborhood 
And also some of the most respectable, nominally religious persons were broken up and brought to Christ. Now, the comment about the vile sinners was in relation to the Windermere meetings, I should point out, <laughs> and not the Kendall meetings. I'm sure that the, um, the story was quite different here. But, um, but what do you think? Notorious sinners, vile sinners, um, here in Kendall too? Could it be? Could it be? And what a wonderful phrase. And of course, there's a lovely balance in the comment, actually. Um, the language is, is great. But that both outwardly respectable and pious, or the most scandalous lives, equally needing the grace and the power of God to forgive our sins and to transform our lives. Everyone needs Jesus. Anyway, wasn't that a good story? 158 years ago and 4th of March. Yes, 1862, apparently. Well, um, shall we pray? Let's pray for more of that. Father, we continue to pray that we would know you more and that you would have the whole of our lives and that all around us who don't yet know you would meet you and find life at your gift and by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our, our reading is, a, is a, a good news reading. I don't know whether we want to slip the PowerPoint slide actually by one slide. Do you mind, Andy, just knocking it down? In our series, All Eyes on Jesus, we've got another crowd scene in Jericho. And um, there are two things really that, um, that I think are, are put into this setting or that we find Luke describing for us. The first is the desperation and the desire of this man named Zacchaeus, who was, um, we very quickly get the, the salient points about him, a chief tax collector, eh, that's not a good thing, and who'd become very rich, very suspicious, and, um, and trying to get a look at Jesus. It's sort of comical, isn't it? It's the stuff of a good illustration in a children's Bible. He couldn't see over the crowd, but was desperate to see Jesus. And um, it says he was too short, but I bet there were a few elbows involved as well. Do you know what I mean? He was not a popular guy, and he couldn't get close. So he climbed up the sticky fig, fig, sycamore, sticky fig tree um, beside the road to catch sight of Jesus. So we have there the desperation of Zacchaeus, this hunger and longing. And then, given Zacchaeus' occupation and corruption um, by his own admission, almost full admission, um, we have the disapproval of the crowds who despise him as a collaborator. It's not just do we like tax paying taxes, it's that this would be the equivalent of being a collaborator under occupation in France or something. Do you know what I mean? You don't, it doesn't go down well if you'd been in one of those villages and getting cozy with the Nazis. I, I don't know if that's a helpful comparison, but it's that sort of a thing which would have made Zacchaeus extremely un, um, well, unpopular, to say the least. And so this man who has so demonstrably abandoned faith with the people of God and with his law and colludes with the Romans and has the, the nerve to take money from them for the Romans and cream quite a bit for himself. There we have it. We have desperation and we have disapproval. And what we see is Jesus. It's all very simply laid out for us. We see Jesus loves and moves towards the one, 
the desperation, the desire of this notorious chief tax collector, and um, pretty much defies or just plain ignores the other, the disapproval and the disdain of the crowd. I must come and be a guest in your home today, Zacchaeus. Isn't that wonderful? Now, the, the drama is described very briefly here, really. Zacchaeus quickly comes down, takes Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. And um, before we know it, we have Zacchaeus standing before the Lord and saying, I'm going to give half of what I've got to the poor, and I'm going to pay back fourfold what I've taken from other people um, if, if I have cheated um, people on their taxes. I'm sure he had. But it sounds like a recipe for giving pretty much everything away, doesn't it? We find Zacchaeus making choices to change his life, to make amends at significant personal costs. And this is what an encounter with Jesus can do. He brings grace to us. We don't have any other conversation recorded. I'm sure there was some conversation. But in Zacchaeus' case, it was simply by choosing him by inviting himself into his life. For me, it's, it's another one of those encounters, rather like the leper, where Jesus touches the man, crosses the boundary, saying, I am willing, and then heals him. Something about Jesus' desire to connect with a person as they are, and once that connection has been made, once it has begun, then this extraordinary transformation can unfold. And I'm sure you'd agree with me that the transformation continues to unfold over years and decades because being with Jesus just undoes us and remakes us. But we see this happening dramatically and beautifully in the reading. With him, we can be transformed. We can change. We can choose. We can turn around. We can leave behind things that hurt us and harm others. He comes and makes that gift to us. Grace is not a generality and a wonderful general thing. It's very particular, isn't it? It comes and it changes Zacchaeus in this dramatic way because he has found a way to freedom, the only way to freedom which is to hold on to Jesus, the one he was so desperate to see and to encounter. Jesus makes this gift, invading a life that was separated from God to rescue us and to give us new life. And Jesus says, doesn't he, so powerfully in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost, that which was lost. Well, hallelujah, you'd think, yes? But, <laughs> verse 7, the people were displeased. I don't know if they were still displeased after verse 10. We don't get that. But they were certainly displeased in verse 7, um, before the fruits of repentance. What is Jesus doing? And Luke makes sure that we get the point of view of the crowd I think simply by way of contrast, and that's the, the heart of the sermon this morning, it's our takeaway, this contrast that they perceive Zacchaeus is unworthy. 
They are unhappy. They grumble that Jesus is going to be the guest of a notorious sinner, just like those sinners in Windermere. And so, and we find, of course, that Jesus isn't excusing Zacchaeus. What do you mean? Jesus is forgiveness. No, but he doesn't excuse him, does he? He's not condoning and excusing the theft, the the corruption. Not at all. He doesn't excuse a lifestyle of, of greed and crime and disloyalty to his fellow Israelites. But he looked up at that tree and chose to come to him. And the most remarkable transformation is enabled. What I want us to look at actually is, is this. There is something about the way Jesus looks at him. And I don't mean a tilt of the head and a twinkle in his eye. I mean what he says in verse 8, what he pronounces as Zacchaeus begins to walk towards God, begins to live the life of the kingdom that Jesus is sowing into him by his grace. And he says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. That's an interesting translation. It would imply perhaps that on the basis that he is beginning to show the signs that he is repentant because he's going to give the money back, he is beginning to prove that he is a child of Abraham. He's coming good. And that's a good story, but it simply says, salvation has come to this house because even he is a son of Abraham. Jericho sees Zacchaeus as a collaborator and a corrupt and notorious sinner. Jesus sees a son of Abraham a child of God's promise. Jesus is prepared to look at this man, seeing his corruption, his actions, his choices, and call him, go to him and call him by who he truly is, a son of Abraham. And that's more than Zacchaeus being part of the family. Don't forget everybody in Jericho. He's a brother too. It's bigger than that. It's, it's the truth of his identity and the purpose of his life. When God came to Abraham and said, I will bless you. And those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And you will be a blessing. All nations on the earth will be blessed through you. And we say yes and amen in Christ. That is so. That is made so. And this man, Zacchaeus, is called into the purpose that God had always intended him for to be a child of God, a son of Abraham, and part of this promise. Not only one who could receive the promise of Abraham, a blessing and salvation, but also one who could carry that, the calling of Israel to be a light to the world, to the Gentiles. I think the challenge for us as we watch Jesus walk through Jericho and change this man's life is to look like Jesus. It's a play on words. Um, Obviously, in two senses. Let's do what Jesus did. He moved towards someone who was desperate to connect with God. You wouldn't have thought it 
would have been much easier to stay cross and judge him. But actually he was desperate, desperate enough to climb a tree, moving towards him and looking as Jesus looked at this man, seeing what he saw. In the words of Paul, let's just listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 18. I I use this at least once a year. I'm about to quote C.S. Lewis as well. Don't worry. We'll get there. But here it is again because it bears restating. It's It's one of the heart. It's almost... One of the most, it's part of the enabling of mission and evangelism and compassion in us is to be able to embody this. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 18. Christ died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Something is so clearly modeled by Jesus and then instructed and shared by the Apostle Paul that we no longer evaluate from a human point of view. It's not excusing or enabling or colluding with sin, but it is seeing what a person is called to be now that Christ has come and died and risen again for them that they might know his life for themselves. Of course, we can argue, well, the new creation is the people that have accepted him to your left and your right. Well, yes, but we are also in these verses called to the task of reconciling people to him. We're called to live and walk in the hope that this person, too, will become who they are able to be by the grace of God through Christ. And Jesus can look in the branches of a sycamore fig tree at the most hated man in Jericho and see a son of Abraham and give him grace. C.S. Lewis, yes, it's time for the weight of glory. He put it this way in that sermon that I love to quote, that the, the load or the weight or the burden of my neighbor's glory, of that which they might become in Christ is what he's talking about that which they will be in Christ by his grace eternally, that that burden, my neighbor's glory, should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. And the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods, small g, and goddesses. He's speaking about our eternal glory in Christ To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. Listen to this. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. Well said, C.S. Lewis. But it's sobering, isn't it? All day long we're walking past a Zacchaeus and either enabling him to come down and to meet with Jesus as he longs to, 
or leaving him up the tree to be hated and despised and lost in greed and corruption, not just for 70 years, but forever. All day long, we're helping people to one or other of these destinations. And he says, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. I'm skipping. But next to the blessed sacrament he preached, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. So, look like Jesus. He wasn't deterred from seeking and saving the lost by an overwhelmingly disapproving majority. He knew what he was there to do. The judgment of others may be quite accurate, but it's not to deter us from seeking, from reaching out, from giving the grace that we've been given. And ironically, those who were judging him were every bit as much in need of a a meal with Jesus. It's just that Zacchaeus had excelled himself and become one of the more notorious sinners. And secondly, I think there's a nudge here that it's, it's not enough, actually, for me simply to agree that Jesus accepts sinners. And that's just lovely. He's good. But no, he's pursuing them in this story as he pursued me, saves, transforms their lives, and he wants to call us into that business. It's not the general proof of grace that we read here. It's the pursuit of individuals who need to meet Jesus and are desperate to meet Jesus. And I think it starts with being willing to look and see a child of God lost. And the identity and purpose that God would give to someone. It's easy to spot notorious sinners. Sin is very easy to spot. But the goal is salvation. Salvation has come to this house. So, should we ask God to prepare us and shape us and teach us to carry him to those places every day of our lives? Go to others, to the one, with his hope and with, with our hope and with his grace. Shall we pray? Jesus, as you came through Jericho and transformed the life of Zacchaeus, we can be confident many more with him. We pray that you would move in, in Kendall and, and beyond, in and through us as you promised, that Holy Spirit, you would be the one so present among us and at work that there is conviction of sin, there is transformation, and there is this glorious fruit that is salvation, a true identity in you as a child of God, a purpose as part of your people, and grace and joy in receiving you, as Zacchaeus did, into his life. We want to see salvation, and we want you to put to use all that we are and all that we have, that people might come to know you for themselves. And as we share our lives with you, we too want to know you deeper and more fully. 
So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Fill us and overflow through our life. In Jesus' name, amen.